0: Marcus will never forget when he first met Randy. Marcus was teaching Bible school at the time, and he and Randy were in a couple of the same classes. Randy was certainly not your traditional student. He was almost 30 years old. Most of his classmates were teenagers or even in their early 20s. His clothes were nice, but not expensive. He was quiet, reserved, not the first person to speak up. Academically, he was certainly not the best student in class, but he was the hardest worker. He spent countless hours in the library receiving special tutoring just to eke out C's in his classes, but he was proud of himself just for passing the class. When Randy moved to the area to attend college, he began attending the same church Marcus attended, and Randy immediately formed a special connection with the pastor. Not long after Randy arrived, the pastor invited him to preach a main service, and he, he did his very best, but he stumbled through the scripture reading. It was clear that reading was not his strong suit. He got lost in his notes, and it was sometimes a little hard to follow. But while few could recall the title of his sermon or the text from which he preached, everyone seems to remember Randy telling the story of his conversion. His tears flowed down his cheeks, his voice began to tremble, but he spoke with confidence and conviction. Just a few years ago, I was homeless, Randy shared. I was pushing shopping carts for a living at a grocery store in a little town in the middle of nowhere. I would spend my days pushing carts in front of the store and my evenings and nights behind the store doing any drug I could get my hands on. All my friends were alcoholics, smokers, and drug addicts. Then one day I was laying in the grass by the store when a man approached me and began to tell me about Jesus. The man told me that I didn't have to live that way anymore and I could be free from all my addictions. So that night he gave me a ride to church. I was so desperate. I went right down to the altar and raised my hands and prayed for deliverance. That night, God filled me with the Holy Ghost and instantly freed me from all my addictions. I never smoked, drank, or did drugs again, and I never had a desire to to either. Not only did God set me free, but He shielded me from any withdrawals. God showed me that day He is stronger than any addiction or sin that would try to keep me in bondage. Now I will never stop telling the story of how God delivered me. He set me free, and He can set you free too. That was Marcus's story. We'll hear a little bit more about that and Moses' story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good first of the week to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Starting off, this is the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast, and I'm L.J. Harry, your host. Happy to have you on board. Our companion episode is stemming from a lesson dated September 11th, 2022, and it is entitled Leaving Slavery. And we are continuing walking through the story of Moses today. We're in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. If you have your Bible, please turn there or your phone, click there. Or if you're driving along in your automobile, just listen and I will gladly read. Exodus 15, verses 1 through 2. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. God delivered Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders nobody could deny. Through his servant Moses, God sent ten plagues raining down on Egypt. The first plague turned the Nile River into blood, which destroyed their primary water source and killed all the fish. So long, fish and chips. Not to be outdone, the Egyptian magicians used dark magic to turn their water into blood. Same thing happened with the second plague. At Moses' command, God sent more frogs into Egypt than at a Muppet's costume party. Those filthy little creatures could be found in every bedroom and kitchen cabinet in Egypt. And once again, the Egyptian magicians used dark magic to conjure up even more frogs, which I find utterly nonsensical. If you have a problem with frogs, Wouldn't a better solution be to use dark magic to get rid of them, not bring more? But the Egyptians were just determined, our gods are stronger than your god. But something changed in the third plague. Moses struck the ground and the dust of the air became gnats, tormented every human and animal in Egypt. And the magicians tried again, but they could not duplicate this plague. They just couldn't. Just three short rounds into a ten-round battle and the Egyptians were already overmatched. The God of the Israelites already proved he was superior. By the sixth plague, the magicians couldn't even stand on their feet. By the eighth plague, all the servants of Pharaoh were actively begging Pharaoh to let Moses and the Israelites go. They realized how much more powerful the God of Moses was over all their pagan gods. Through the ten plagues, God demonstrated how weak and false these Egyptian gods were. For every plague, the Egyptians had a deity that failed to perform when the Egyptians needed it most. When God sent swarms of flies as the fourth plague, He established the inadequacy of Kepri, the Egyptian god of creation, who had the head of an insect. When God sent hail as the seventh plague, He proved that Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky, could not protect them. And when God sent the ninth plague, darkness, Well, that was just a haymaker right to their esteemed and venerated god, Ra, the Egyptian god of the sun, one of the oldest and most important Egyptian gods. Idolatry doesn't quite look the same for us as it did for them. I don't know of anybody who serves idols of wood and stone or gold or brass. But people still worship idols. People still kneel and worship at the altars of money, career or fame or other worldly standards of success. God has no problem proving any of these gods are weak and insufficient to satisfy our soul. If we will allow him to, God can demonstrate himself as the only God worth serving. Think about your own life, where you are and what you have seen. What are some of the false gods our world serves today? God used these plagues to demonstrate himself as real and powerful in the lives of the Egyptians. The ten plagues also helped make God known to the Israelites. Truth be told, the Israelites had not been living in freedom God desired for them. So these plagues on Egypt revealed to the Hebrews that God was still on their side and God was still fighting for them even during their darkest hour. The plagues reminded them God was still in control and was still working for their deliverance. God sent Moses to remind them of God's message. And today God has given us pastors preachers, other spiritual leaders to guide us and remind us of God's plan and power for our lives. At any point, the Hebrews could have chosen not to believe God. They could have remained in slavery. Or the Egyptians could have repented and humbled themselves before God and those plagues would have ceased. Thankfully, Exodus 14 verse 31 records that the Israelites, quote, saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. End quote. This type of fear doesn't mean they were scared or anxious about what God might do. To fear God meant to revere, to respect God with a sense of awe and wonderment, recognizing his great power and sovereignty over the world and over our lives. Here's a question What does the fear of God look like in your life? And how do you know you fear the Lord? Later, during the ten plagues, only the oppressive Egyptians were affected because God made a distinction between his people and their enemies. Plague after plague, God shielded the Israelites. He shielded their land and their possession from the effects of those plagues. The Egyptians got weaker. God's children grew stronger. God powerfully demonstrated his justice by rightly judging the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. That gives me great confidence that the God of the Israelites is actively working on our behalf to free us from sin and bondage which the world would love to oppress on us. Even when it seems like the wicked are prevailing and they're winning, we must remember God sees the situation perfectly. God hears our prayers and God has already made a distinction between his children and the enemy. God is fighting for us. I think of the song we sing, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that will not be shaken. And by the way, you are very welcome for me not singing that to you. But here's a question to think about. What are some of the major distinctions between the people of God and people of the world? While you're ruminating on that, let's continue our story. In the fourth plague, God pronounced through his servant Moses at the land of Goshen, where Israel lived, would be protected from the plague of flies about to descend on Egypt. While the Egyptians spent the entire plague slapping at flies and watching flies destroy their food supplies, the Israelites didn't reach for the flies' water one time. Then in the fifth plague, a grave sickness came upon the Egyptians' livestock, devastating them. But the Israelite animals? Safe and sound. In the seventh plague, God perfectly bisected the sky so not a single hailstone landed in Goshen, even though neighboring Egypt was pounded by the worst hail their land had ever seen. The ninth plague is is amazing. In Egypt, complete, total darkness engulfed the Egyptians so much that nobody could travel. Nobody could even see each other. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But in Goshen, oh, well, the sun was shining bright. No need to change the batteries on the sun over in Goshen. Still shining bright. This miracle demonstrated the power of God and the ability of God to divide a line between his people and the world. This tenth and final plague did not affect the Israelites, but God issued a very special caveat to this final plague. We read it in Exodus 12. Earlier, the Israelites were automatically protected from the plagues, but in the tenth plague, God purposed to kill the firstborn of every household. But God gave special instructions for how the Israelites were to protect themselves from this plague. Each household was commanded to slaughter a lamb and smear the blood on the doorframe of the house. And God would pass over the land to enact this final plague and see the blood covering on that house and pass over that house. Everybody in that house would be spared. And of course, now we know, living on this side of Calvary, that the blood of the Lamb was a foreshadowing of the blood another Lamb would shed one day. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John understood prophetically, that the coming Messiah would be sacrificed and his blood would provide atonement and protection from eternal death and punishment and separation from God. The blood Jesus, the ultimate lamb shed on Calvary, is still efficacious to this day. When we apply Jesus' blood to our lives, we experience freedom, protection, deliverance. John said we're to submit to God and we are to walk in the light and that the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin, 1 John 1, verse 7. Paul wrote that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, verse 7. And Peter wrote that believers have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. Just as the Israelites applied the blood to the doorpost of their houses, So we, New Testament believers, apply the blood of Jesus to our souls when we repent, when we are buried in baptism in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we have the chance to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. Since the death of Jesus was once and for all, we must believe that his blood still works, is still effective, and we can still apply his blood to our lives and experience redemption, cleansing, protection and deliverance. Here's a question. What do you think when you think about the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you think about freedom? Do you think about protection, deliverance, salvation, redemption? It all is right there in the shed blood of Jesus at the same time, God gave Israel instructions to protect themselves during Passover. He also gave them instructions to make the remembrance of this event an annual celebration. In Exodus 12, verse 14, God instructed them to make this day a memorial. Passover would be a time to feast and celebrate, but also a time to worship and honor God. And to this day, devout Jews still celebrate Passover to collectively remember God's divine deliverance and protection. As Israel was making their way out of Egypt, God added another blessing on top of their deliverance. The Egyptians were so weak from all the plagues that God allowed the Hebrews to plunder the Egyptians on their way out of town. They took precious metals, jewelry, clothing, whatever they wanted. They simply asked, and the Egyptians gave it. Just here, take it, get out of here. When the Israelites reached the Red Sea, some of them thought God's divine favor they experienced up till this point was over. The Red Sea was too wide, too treacherous to cross with so many people, and the Egyptian army was now hot on their heels. But God was not done. Moses lifted the staff, and the Red Sea parted, revealing a path straight through the Red Sea with a wall of water on either side. And miraculously, the Israelites crossed on dry ground. And when Egypt tried to pursue them, well, Moses just lifted his hand, the water returned, and all the Egyptians drowned. In the same Red Sea, God's people just walked through. God did not bring Israel out of Egypt just to allow them to die at the Red Sea. And similarly, God has not delivered us from our sins and our transgressions just to allow us to spiritually perish when we encounter trials or tests of our faith. God would not start us on a path unless he planned on walking with us every step of the way. The writer of Hebrews is absolutely right. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. When Israel was truly free from the Egyptians, Exodus 15 is basically a hymn. It's a song Moses and the children of Israel sang as they worshiped God. And in this song, they sang about God's destruction on Egypt and deliverance for Israel all through the self-same sea. Just like the Israelites sang this song in Exodus 15 and celebrated their deliverance annually with a Passover celebration. We should regularly celebrate the fact we have been saved. Thank God. Even if we don't have a formal feast, we should make a point to share our testimony as often as possible. Share it over Raising Cane. Share it over Chick-fil-A. When we do, we memorialize. We remember the monumental change God has wrought in our lives. When we share our testimonies, we encourage others and strengthen them by keeping God's delivering power right there at the forefront of our minds think about your own life. What testimonies of God's deliverance in your life do you share the most? And while you're thinking on that one, we're going to wrap this up. Randy. I'd love to hear that sermon Randy preached, that first sermon. His sermon at the beginning of this lesson, it wasn't the last one he preached. Randy did not graduate from Bible school, but after he arrived there, He shortly received his ministry license, and he was asked to pastor a church nearby where he was saved, so he moved back home, assumed the pastorate of a church of about five people, renting a tiny storefront that could only seat a dozen or so. Randy didn't care how big the church was, and and he knew they couldn't afford to pay him. He just wanted to tell people about the same God who delivered him from his addictions and spiritual bondage all those many years ago. A few years passed, and Marcus and his wife were planning to travel overseas on a missions trip. And Randy heard about it, and he invited them to minister at the church where he pastored. He wanted to be a support. So when Marcus walked into the church, he was flabbergasted, flummoxed, nonplussed, amazed. This church of five people had grown to almost a 100 people. And now the church rented three storefronts in a strip mall. They're trying to buy the entire plaza. And Randy and his wife treated Marcus and his wife to lunch afterwards. And Randy handed Marcus one of the largest checks he had ever received to help fund their missions trip. Marcus was amazed. He sat in that small town buffet and stared at Randy. And Marcus began to gush at how well the church was doing. Randy was as humble as ever. He redirected all the praise and glory back to God. And Marcus said, I have to ask, what was your secret to growing this church? Did Did you use any special tools or special programs? Randy just smiled. His eyes brimmed with tears as he began to speak. Do you remember my testimony I told all those years ago at Bible school? Well, my pastor told me that I just needed to keep on telling that story. He told me the world needed to hear about the saving and delivering power of Jesus Christ. When I came to pastor this church, I just kept telling people about how God saved me. And sometimes I even post pictures on social media and on the screen at church of myself before I was saved. When people see those photos and hear those stories, they realize there is hope for them too. Now, almost all those people in our church are former drug addicts and alcoholics. I cannot tell you how many people God has delivered from addictions, either instantly or over time. But every time I see another soul set free, it reminds me, I just have to keep telling my story about a God who can deliver. Thank God, thank God for his awesome power and grace. I'd like us to pray, a couple things to pray for. First off, let's praise God for the testimonies in our lives and others' lives. And then secondly, let's ask God to continue working miracles to give more people testimonies of his goodness and his greatness in their lives. Lord Jesus, I praise you today for stories like Randy, for stories like mine. For all those you have set free, all those you have delivered, all those you have kept, all those you have changed their lives, our lives, thank you, Lord, for the testimonies you've given us. Give us courage to share those testimonies. Help us never be ashamed. Help us always to be willing and courageous to share our testimonies with others, whether they receive it or not, whether they hear it or not, whether they believe it or not. Help us to be willing to share with others what you have done for us and continue, God, giving testimonies to people of your goodness and greatness to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as we possibly can. Use us for your glory to share our testimony in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, be sure to click subscribe, be sure to click share, or click the little bell button or the like button so you'll never miss an episode and share it, so neither will your friends or family have to miss any episodes of the God's Word for Life podcast. Also head on over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got some wonderful resources, Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, devotionals, great resources for you to help you in your walk with God and others and their walk with God. I would like to hear how this podcast is being a blessing to you and helping you. I'd like to hear how you're using it. If you're using it for a small group or you're using it just for your personal devotion or you're using it to share the gospel and good news with others, I would love to hear how you're using God's Word for Life for the glory of God and the cause of discipleship. So please find me on social media. Our official page is God's Word for Life on Facebook. So if you type in facebook.com slash God's Word for Life. You'll find us. If you're looking for me, you can find me at Facebook.com/slash LJ.Harry. Or just look up LJ Harry and you find the guy who looks like Wors Waldo? That would be me. I'd love to hear how you're using God's Word for Life for the glory of God and the cause of discipleship. Next week, we continue walking through the story of Moses, and we're going to get to one of my favorite parts in this story: the part where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That's going to be next week. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at Pentecostalpublishing.com.